6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 26 through 29. The prophet who prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known, and that the Lord hath truly sent him. This is Deuteronomy 18, if you remember, the test of a prophet, right? If a prophet, if that which the prophet says, and if he says in the name of the Lord, it come to pass, then he's speaking of the Lord. If it doesn't, you kill him. Pretty interesting professional development program among prophets there. <laughs> Verse 10, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet, Jeremiah's neck and broke it. Hananiah's Paul for it, takes this yoke, the symbol, symbolic thing that Jeremiah was lugging around to make his point. He took it, they took it, and he busted it. Dramatic, you know, theatrics. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations uh, within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Hmm. He just quietly says, okay, buddy, you know, wish you luck. Verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, after that Hananiah the prophet had, had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go and tell Hananiah, saying, here's your message back to that turkey, you ready? Thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the pieces of wood, but thou shalt make, them for, make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him the beasts of the field also. It fascinates me. It's always in there. It's always in there. He's the only king that I know of that in the, in the Gentile dominion, you know, that has the beasts also. Interesting. Verse 15. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah. The Lord hath not sent thee, but in other words, he's denying, he's just confronting him. The Lord hasn't sent you, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year shalt thou die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Okay? In the seventh month. Now you may wonder, what's all that about? You go back here to verse 1. The Holy Spirit took the trouble to show you that this started in the fifth month. And this boastful false prophet said, in two years I'm going to have all this stuff back here. The Lord says, wrong. Two months, fella, and you're out of the ballgame. Two months he got, not two years, two months. Now, something you miss in verses 15 and 17, because you read it in the English, in the Hebrew, the lo which means he has not sent you, is the Hebrew word that means he has not sent you, okay? In other words, 
God has not sent Hananiah. He has not sent you, right? The whole Selakah. Okay. The word here in terms of casting you off the face of the earth is Meselakah, which is in the Hebrew almost the same word. It's a play on words. Okay. Lo means it's a negative. Lo means not. Lo Selakah means he has not sent you. But he is going to send you where? Off the face of the earth. See, see, he got sent by the, what, what, what's hidden in the pun in the Hebrew, what, the, what Jeremiah is saying, or God is saying through Jeremiah, you know, you claim to be sent, but you're not. I'm going to send you where you go, off the face of the earth. That's, that's what's caught up in, in, in the language there. And not in two years, by the way, in two months. Now, um, incidentally, something else, just another background note about this. At the time that Hananiah is going through this false prophet routine, we know from archaeological evidence called the Babylonian Chronicle that at this time, Nebuchadnezzar had his hands full quelling a local revolt in Babylon itself. Small point, but it starts to give you a feeling for why this guy had the audacity or the arrogance to be optimistic that they were going to, that Babylon, you know, that Babylon was going to fall because they apparently had word that there was some local uprising in Babylon itself that Nebuchadnezzar had his hands full. So that might be, just speculative, that might be the source, at least in part, of Hananiah's optimism, which of course was falsely placed, and he got a lesson about stepping in to the office of a prophet. Now, if I keep this, we got we got to roll on here. If we got, uh, uh, we can, I'm really trying, see, 30 and 31 are dynamite, and I want to set myself up for next time, so I'm going to try to just squeeze in another chapter here, I think we can make it, okay? So uh, let's take chapter 29. And we'll glean through it just as superficially as we have the previous ones. And if I go fast enough, I won't reveal all the stuff I don't know. I can just keep you snowed. So let's keep going. Um, chapter 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders, or the remnant of the elders, who were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is a letter. In fact, actually a group of letters of Jeremiah to those that are captive. Bear in mind, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem with those that are still back there. But in that first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, there were a number of taken, number taken captives. The royalty, some of the heavies, you know, all that, were taken captive. So, Nebuchadnezzar, so Jeremiah is sending letters from Jerusalem to these slaves, the captives. Now, the captives aren't in chains and in prisons. They're in, in, in villages and things, farming. And, and in fact, they're going to be instructed here quite interestingly with instructions that they also observed throughout the diaspora. We'll come and getting ahead of myself. But the point is, Jeremiah is writing to these captives, to the elders who were carried away captives, to the priests, to the prophets. What prophets? Ezekiel and Daniel. They're over there, a couple hundred miles away. Okay? And others, I'm sure. And to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 2. After Jeconiah the king and the, and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. Here's a parenthetical addition that Jeconiah, remember Jeconiah, that's the guy that had the blood curse, right? And the queen, that was Nehushta. Remember we talked about that? Why is she always mentioned? Because bear in mind, Jeconiah is only 18 years old. Queen mother's still, you know, heavy dude here. And the eunuchs and the princes and so forth. And the craftsmen and the smiths. Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty cool guy. He, when he conquered someone, he picked the best. The brightest young men, Daniel and his three friends, took them to Babylon to be staff men at the court. Took the craftsmen and the artisans went forward to beautify Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was pretty cool. 
and uh, and they were departed from Jerusalem. Now, by the hand of Alesa, the son of uh, Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, saying, now bear in mind, there's an emissary going from Zedekiah, the puppet king, to Nebuchadnezzar, the heavy. So this emissary is going there anyway. So I'm sure with Zedekiah's permission, Jeremiah is allowed to send some letters along these, with these guys to the captives that are in Babylon. That's what's going on here. Okay. It's an ambassadorship. Okay, yeah. Elsa, the son of Shephon, he's the brother of Ahikim. And um, let's see, who's the other one? Um, Gamaria, who was the son of Hilkiah, who was probably Josiah's high priest. We find that from 2 Kings 22, but I'm sure you were, you know, I'm not sure you were hanging on your seat to learn all that. Uh, I'll let you do that. I don't know what to do with that information. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Um, okay. Uh, next uh, three verses, chapter four, verse, uh, excuse me, verse number four. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all who were carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. He now gives them some instructions. And this is strange instructions, but it'll give you some insights here. He says, hey, you guys, you're slaves, you're, you're, you're not slaves, you're captives in Babylon. Do the following. Build yourself houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take to yourselves wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. He's saying a lot of things here. He's saying, dig in, guys, it's going to be a while. A couple of generations, by the way. I mean, you know, sons and daughters, and then they're going to marry. Build houses, plant earth, you know, plant gardens and eat off it. Don't hang around that we're going to, you know, have an Entebbe raid today after tomorrow and pull you out of there. You are there for a while, right? This is exactly the kind of posture that the Jews took after the dispersion by the Romans. Because in 70 AD, when Titus Vespasian and the four legions leveled Jerusalem, and dispersed the Jews throughout the world, which for 1,900 years they wandered, homeless. During that period of time, they did exactly this. Wherever they found themselves, Russia, Germany, you name it, they did what? They built houses, dwelt in them, planted gardens, eat fruit of them, they took wives. Not pagan wives. There's not an implication that to take you know, Babylonian wives. They're still to keep to themselves. You know, Deuteronomy has not been repealed. They're to be separate, but they populate and have families and recognize it's going to be, you know, a continuation, okay? And centuries of dispersion, they follow the same pattern, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing. It's unique in the Old Testament. Verse 7, And seek the peace of the city to which I cause you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in its peace ye shall have peace. This is strange. You and I take it for granted because of Matthew 5, 43 and elsewhere that we are to pray, you know, for, the, for peace in a broad sense. The only place you can find it where they are to pray for the peace of the city in which they're captives. Because if they have peace, they'll enjoy peace. Okay? Pray for, you seek the peace and so forth. And that's exactly what they do. And by the way, we have in Ezra chapter 6, I think it is, Cyrus the Persian, asked them to pray for him. 
It's interesting. You know, we take that for granted in the New Testament sense. Old Testament is right here. There's a lot of the fact the New Testament gets its name from the book of Jeremiah. Do you know? That's two chapters away. We're getting there. Um, okay. But for he peace, ye shall have peace. Verse 8. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets nor your diviners who are in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye have caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Verse 10, for thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return even from this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Now that's your Bible verse of the chapter, 2913, mark it. And you can quote that to anybody around here and they'll think you're quoting from the New Testament. And ye shall seek me and find me when you search with me with all your heart. You searching for God and can't find him? Maybe it's not with all your heart. Here's his promise. It's unequivocal. Okay. Incidentally, after the seven years is then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And that's the opening into Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. Daniel was reading this, knowing the 70 years were about accomplished when he went into prayer. We covered that before, right? And prayed, and that's the prayer that Gabriel himself interrupts and gives Daniel the mathematical prophecy that predicts the very day that Jesus Christ presents himself as king that we celebrate as Palm Sunday. 173,880 days in advance, uh, God calls his shot. Very, very exciting thing. Verse 14. And I will be found by you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places to which I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Is this the return from Babylon? No. If you read it carefully... Jeremiah may have thought so if he wasn't paying attention. I don't know. But the Lord says through Jeremiah, and I will be found by you, say the Lord, and I will turn you away, I will turn away your captivity, and will gather you from where? From Babylon? From Chaldea? From the plain of Shinar? No. From all the nations. Really? Gomer, Scythians, the Mega from Agog, from all of them. And you'll find all those listed in Genesis 11, Table of Nations, and you'll find them in Ezekiel 38, where, he just, in 38, where they talk about this. I will gather from all the nations and from all the places to which I have driven you. Not just Babylon. This is the second regathering. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. God says, when I regather you the second time, you're going to be established in the land never to be removed. When did the second regathering start? May 14th of 1948. Going on in our lifetime. Very exciting. The climax is being set up. Climax of all of God's plan for man. I've often thought about that. When would you like to be, if you had your choice to be alive any time on the planet Earth, when would you pick? You want to be at the court of Nebuchadnezzar? Be careful, he played rough. Would you like to be by the Sea of Galilee when a carpenter's son was healing the blind and the lepers? That'd be kind of neat. What would be even more exciting? When a suffering servant comes to take possession of that which he purchased, when God climaxes his entire plan for mankind, when is that? Right now. If you had a chance to pick any time in human history, right now, exciting time. 
God is going to climax this whole book. Not far away. Verse 15. Because ye have said the Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon, know that thus saith the Lord of the, king, uh, of the king that sitteth upon the throne of David, and of all the people that dwell in the city, and of your brethren, they are not gone forth with you into captivity. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs. You remember that phrase from the earlier example? Like vile figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad. Again, it's that duet of fig tree, figs that we talked about a couple chapters ago. Verse 18, And I will persecute them with the sword, the famine, and with pestilence. There goes the trio again. And I will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, and a horror, and a hissing, and a reproach. To where? To all the kingdoms of the earth, not just Babylon. And a reproach among all the nations to which I have driven them. Because they have not hearkened to my word, saith the Lord, which I sent them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early, sending them. But ye would not hear, saith the Lord. Hear therefore the word of the Lord, all ye of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, of Ahab, the son of uh, Coliah, uh, and Zedekiah, the son of uh, Messiah. Now, don't, don't confuse these two names. These are not the Ahab you're familiar with from, from the northern kingdom long ago. And this isn't the Zedekiah, the king. It's a different, they're, they're common name. These are two false prophets and mentioned by name. These guys who prophesy a lie unto you in my name, behold, I deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And of them shall be taken up a curse by the captivity of Judah, who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted with fire. Boy, the king of Babylon had a thing about roasting with fire. <laughs> These two guys <laughs> get cooked, right? It's interesting in Daniel chapter 3 that that is what we see there too. We can have a fire pit, and it's turned up seven times as hot as normal, right? It's so hot that the officers in charge get consumed by this thing. They, they, they weren't watching the specs very well, apparently. And Daniel's three friends get thrown in the furnace, and of course uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks down there and he sees, how many we throw in there? And he sees these three guys down there walking around. The only thing the fire did is burn their, get rid of their bonds. They were unhooked. You know, they were all set. He says, I see four down there. And the fourth is like who? Son of man. You betcha. And so, of course, Daniel has him called out. He's kind of, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me. Nebuchadnezzar has him called out. He's obviously quite impressed. And um, <laughs> so, now that's a fun story. And I love to get into it because everybody sees in it a type. Nebuchadnezzar had made an image, right, to be worshipped, six, six cubits high, six cubits wide, right? And those that didn't bow down were under penalty of death. What is Nebuchadnezzar a type of? The Antichrist, terrific. Okay, and these three Jewish young men are a type of the remnant through the tribulation, 144,000, if you will. And the fire happens to be an Old Testament idiom of the tribulation, and so here we have the, we have the Antichrist, we have the the remnant going through and preserved miraculously through the fire, and we have the and all this. And that's great. The question I love to ask when we get into all that typology: Where's Daniel? Where was Daniel throughout that whole episode? We don't know. Well, was he around? Well, if he was around, he must have bowed down to the idol because he wasn't accused of false worshiping. Not very likely if you know anything about Daniel. So he must have. He didn't bow down. If he didn't bow down, they wouldn't have missed a chance to accuse Daniel. He's the guy that set their clock back in chapter two. But somehow he's not in the story. It's silent. Just as Isaac is edited out of the record from the time he's offered in Genesis 22 as an offering for sin until he's united with his bride, he's edited out of the record so that the, the Torah fits the type of Jesus Christ. 
So likewise, I think it's fascinating that Daniel is not present. He's probably on an affair of state, an errand in a foreign country on behalf of the king. He's not around. That's why these, this old palace guard took a chance to try and, you know, do his buddies in. But for, typologically, it's very interesting because Daniel just might be a type of the church. This is way out. You don't make doctrine from, 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 from analogies. You really don't. But it's kind of an interesting observation that I can't resist sharing with you, which, of course, has got nothing to do with Jeremiah, so we better get back here. Um, roasted with fire. Uh, by the way, don't confuse these two guys. As I think I said, is that these guys are um, two guys. They, they're not linked to, to these false prophets, Ahab and Zedekiah. There's something else, by the way. There's another play on words here. Um, Coliah. Um, where was that? Um, Ahab, the son of Coliah. Who cares who's the son of? Well, because Coliah as a noun, means curse. And galakola, which is almost the same verb, is to burn or roast. There's a play on words here. Okay? And again, as we read it, we miss that because it's in the Hebrew. It's a Hebrew pun. But uh, for what it's worth, uh, there's a lot going on here that you and I miss, of course, because uh, we're, we're you know, victims of our own uh, translation. Okay. Now, uh, verse 23. We're almost there. We'll make it. Because they have committed villainy in Israel, and they have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them, even I know and am a witness, saith the Lord. In other words, these guys are bad dudes. They were adulterers, they were profligates, as well as being obviously blasphemers in effect. Verse 24, thus saith the Lord, uh, thus, excuse me, thus thou shalt also speak to Shemaiah the, the Nahalamite. And by the way, the word Nahalamite sounds like a geographic place. It also means the dreamer. The dreamer. We'll come to this saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, Because thou hast sent letters in, my, in thy name unto all the people who are at Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of um, Messiah, the priests, and to all the priests. And by the way, this Zephaniah was like the sergeant of arms. He was the chief warden in charge of the police regulations of the temple. That's who this guy was. Uh, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord make thee priest in the stead of Jehoiada, the priests, that ye should be officers in the house of the Lord, and every man that is mad maketh himself a prophet that thou shouldest put him in prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore, why hast thou not reproved Jeremiah of Anathoth, who maketh himself a prophet to you? For therefore he sent unto us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build yourself houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit therein. And Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. In other words, this is a letter of reproach by this character. And this guy, Zephaniah, read it so Jeremiah could hear this. And then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Send all of them of the captivity, saying, Thus saith the Lord concerning Shemaiah the, the Nehalamite, Because Shemaiah hath prophesied unto you, and I sent him not, and he causeth you to trust in a lie, therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehalamite and his seed, and he shall not have a man to dwell among his people, neither shall he behold the good that I will do for my people, saith the Lord, because he hath taught rebellion against the Lord. And that's, um, and we made it. So that is the end of chapter 29. Next time, next time we'll take chapter 30 and 31. And you, I commend to you reading it next time. And I'll call your attention right now to give you a flavor of what we're going to get into. I'd like you to notice verse 7. Verse 7 speaks of the great tribulation, but gives you an Old Testament title of it that will give you tremendous perception. You and I call the tribulation period, the last half of the 70th week of Daniel, the great tribulation because we, we, we get its name from Matthew 24, where Jesus Christ quotes Matthew 12. And when he does that, the tribulation, the great, that, that's where it gets its label. 
And because you take a New Testament label for it, you don't really understand what the tr whose tribulation it really is. And in Jeremiah, in verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Israel, or Jacob's trouble. The focus of the tribulation is Israel, not the world at large. I'm not saying it's not worldwide, but the focus of it is Israel. But he shall be saved out of it because of the elect's sake. Those days shall be shortened, and so on. So we'll get into some of that next time. Verse 9, of course, says that David's going to come back. So I'd like to have fun with that one. Um, so in all we go, and, and, and uh, we're going to have uh, um, uh, 31. I think we'll get into 31 also, which is some things that Matthew quotes from when we talk about the slaughter of the babes in Bethlehem and all of that. So we'll get going here. And then, of course, um, uh, as we get into 31, is where the New Testament gets its name. And when Jesus Christ scolds Nicodemus for not knowing about being born again, he says, you're a teacher of Israel and you know not these things? What's he talking about? We, we associate born again with John 3. Jesus didn't. And I submit to you that he expected Nicodemus to understand Jeremiah 31. And we'll get into that next time. Let's stand for a word of prayer. False prophets. You and I do not have to go to Israel or Babylon to find false prophets. All you have to do is turn the TV on from time to time. All you have to do is, is, is read the papers. All you have to do is be sensitive to the media, and you'll find all kinds of false teaching. The pagan teaching isn't the one that's going to hurt you the most. You're beyond that. If you know Jesus Christ, you're the very fact that you're here tonight. It means that the Holy Spirit's brought you. There's nothing, uh, you know, uh, coincidences are is not a kosher word. You're here by divine appointment. But the kind of thing that will rip you off, in my guess, is not pagan teaching. What's going to rip you off is deviant Biblical teaching. The only defense is another word. And the Holy Spirit to guide you and protect you and shield you. And that ought to be your very fervent prayer. That, and uh, that's why in all your notepads, I forgot to do that this night. I tried to remember. Acts 17.11 goes to the top of your notepad where Luke tells you not to believe anything Chuck Mister tells you, but to search the Scriptures daily to prove whether those things be so. You've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.